0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we got some new announcements from Inkscape, Purism, Solus, Mozilla, and Steam. We'll also check out some new distro releases from Netrunner, Deepin, Android x86, and more. Then we'll look at some new hardware offerings from Purism and Introware. Later in the show, we'll talk about some drama happening around a project's licensing issues. And then we'll round out the episode with some Linux gaming news, including some sales from the Humble Bundle. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or if you use their flexible pricing structure, you can get it for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's seven-tenths of one cent per hour. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co/tux. That's right, you get started for a full $100 credit for free by going to to tdo.co/tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode. A version of the show this week is Inkscape 1.0 Alpha has been released. Uh, They've also updated the stable version of 0.92.4. And now this is interesting because it's the first version of Inkscape that they're pushing towards the 1.0. So, as you can tell, like the stable one I just mentioned is 0.92.4. They've been working on Inkscape as a project for about 15 years or so, but they've never released a full 1.0 major version. And this is a big milestone for them to do so because they're saying that it's in a production ready level. You know, like they're super happy with the stability of it and things like that. I think that Inkscape has been available as a, as a production ready piece of software for years. So, it's interesting that they, they've decided to wait so long to set it up as a 1.0 but overall I think Inkscape is great and you should definitely check it out but the latest uh, version of the stable release of 0.92.4 has notable performance improvements for extensions uh, filter rendering and saving and moving paths throughout the uh, with a live path effect and also the measuring tools had improvements but with the Inkscape 1.0 they've ported it to GTK3 toolkit so it's got a lot of improved UI experience as far as performance as well as it offers better high DPI support so if you have a system that uses high DPI uh, screen resolution then Inkscape will be better to scale on those systems it also integrates the system theme support with the application better now it's also offering some new export options or PNG exports as well as some new variables, fonts, and stuff like that. But what's really cool is they've added a feature. I mean, there's a lot of cool features anyway, but one of the things I like the most is the canvas rotation and mirroring structure, allowing you to, instead of rotating, you know, the elements in the canvas, you can now rotate the canvas so you can, uh, for example, if you use a tu- like a, a Wacom tablet or some other kind of a writing tablet, you can manipulate the canvas and then kind of like draw in a more convenient and efficient way rather than having to you know twist your arm or move the element so you can you just draw that one section it's just it's a better way of doing a drawing tool for uh, a vector style approach so it's really cool that they're doing that and I'm glad happy to see that and if you'd like to check it out I'll have a link to the blog post for Inkscape as well as a link to the download in the show notes. Um, to be be clear, again this is an alpha for the 1.0 it is not really ready to go for any production but um, it should be pretty soon overall Uh, but but just to let you know, again, it's a 1.0 alpha but it is released in an app image, so you don't have to install anything extra you can just download the app image and set it to run and then you're you're good to go so have a link to the, the, the app image as well as the blog post for their website in the show notes Up next in the show is a rather unfortunate piece of news. It's not necessarily going to be like a horrible thing. They're still going to be doing some test pilot stuff, but unfortunately Mozilla has announced that they are going to be ending the Firefox test pilot program. There will still be some doing some experimental and innovation stuff like that, how they've been doing with the test pilot, but the reason why I like the test pilot program is it allowed anyone who wanted to participate in testing to be a part of it and try out all kinds of stuff and I've been using the test pilot system since they first announced it a few years ago and when they previously had another uh, revision of it I don't know 10 years ago because they they said that they only started a couple years ago but I think this is more like a restart of a previous thing because I'm fairly sure I've been doing test pilot stuff for many many years but anyway there's the unfortunate thing is that this might mean that we wouldn't be able to test stuff out until it becomes a you know more flushed out product or ex- extension from the Mozilla team because things like containers screenshots activity stream uh the sins service all those things started as test pilot programs the representative from Mozilla said that. The innovation uh, process is uh, no longer going to be the responsibility of a handful of individuals, but rather the entire organization. So they're trying to say that they don't need to use a test pilot program anymore because they're going to have like dedicated people to specifically test out things like that. You know, I kind of want I want to be one of the people who test it out anyway. So even if you do have people who are working for you, stuff like containers and you know the uh, screenshots tools and all that. I would want to test those out when they come out with new things. So, for example, I'm pretty sure you can still use it. Uh, they say I think they said that January 22nd is when they're going to end the test pilot uh, program. So, if you want to try it out, you can go to the test pilot program now. Install the app. App. You still install the add-on. And you can also install a extension that is a test pilot ex- experiment called Firefox Color. Which allows you to modify and customize the UI of your Firefox browser without having to install any special extra stuff. And all you have to do is like uh, click on a section of the browser, and then choose a color from a color wheel, and then there you go. It automatically makes it work like look like that. It's a really cool extension, and it's currently in the test pilot. Now, some good news for that is that I did ask some developers for the test pilot uh, co- Firefox color experiment. And they said that it is popular enough that they will be branching it out to its own add-on so it's not going anywhere. You know, I hope that's the case because I think it's a great you know, ex- extension and when, once it goes more public, a lot more people are going to find a lot of uses for it. So, you know, the process itself might not be... is going away for everyone, but they're still going to be doing innovative stuff and, you know, experiments and things like that. So I, I'm going to miss being able to, you know, try these stuff out really quickly and like the nightlies and all this other stuff. But anyway... If you want to find out more, you can find the blog post in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Edex ui application. It's the 2.00 version. And this is a science fiction-inspired terminal emulator designed for large screens. And it runs on all major operating systems. What's The, the thing that's cool about it is that this application kind of looks like a movie or TV show you know hacker setup or whatever like the ridiculous absurd uh, cl- the interfaces that they claim hackers are using. The reason why this is cool is because this is an fun- this is a actual functional interface. The keyboard that you see on the screen is actually functionally and it works with touchscreens. So you can t- use a touchscreen to hit the keyboard and it works like an on-screen keyboard. The file manager on the bottom left is connected to your file system so that it completely works. The terminal in the middle is a legit terminal. The statistics on the left side are all accurate or like, well, they're all re- related to your system. And it's a, really, a fully functional, ridiculous science fiction style terminal emulator, terminal emulator. And that's really cool. And it comes in an app image as well, so it's really easy to load up. So if you wanted to try it out, uh, I've a link in the show notes for it. This is the EDEX UI. Now, it is based on Electron, so that might be bothersome to some people, but this is more of a fun thing rather than a super uh, useful thing. It was originally created as the Dex UI and it was created just like as a proof of concept to, you know, for the fun of making an emulator that looks like that, but it didn't really function. So it was forked to make it function. So Every aspect of it actually supports it with like online status, memory, CPU usage, all that stuff. It's very cool. And I uh, mean, it's just it's just a really fun project. So if you want to try it out, I'll have a link to it, the EDEX UI version 2, in the show notes. Purism has announced the PureOS Store, which is a software store that's made for smartphones and laptops and desktops, stuff like that. It's like the whole, it's trying to be like a convergent style app store. So PureOS announced plans to introduce their PureOS store for the mobile initiative as well as their laptops running PureOS. They say that we hope to develop real convergence and our apps that just work, regardless of which device they're running on. And they, they say stay tuned for more announcements as we get closer to launch. But there's, there's kind of a weird aspect to this because I'm, I'm, I'm open to, a, to a, a new store as long as it's easy to use and it works well. Uh, and it also if it you know makes it easier to use the smartphone interface that'd be nice too uh, but there's not really any detail on how any of this will work it's more like just a bunch of speculation like for example maybe they will use flat packs um, based on the, the the work that they've been doing with the gnome project as well as their the mobile os that they're making is based on gnome so you know this is really this is really just speculation but the the thing that's interesting is that in the the article in their blog post, they have a in the image of the phone as well as the image of a laptop, and on the laptop is Darktable. Now, the thing that's weird is that Darktable is a very professional-grade application for photography and really wouldn't be used in a mobile interface. So, when they want, they're talking about convergence of having apps that work both on uh, they in their blog post, they mention having the apps that are you know designed to be used on both platforms whether it's desktop, laptop or mobile. Some of these applications are never going to work on that because it doesn't really make sense, they don't really fit that paradigm anyway. So I'm curious to see what happens with this and I'm also curious to see, you know, what happens with Librem 5 because, you know, I can't wait to try that out. So that's supposedly coming in April. So, you know, maybe this they'll this announcement for the P.O.S store is related to the Librem 5 releasing. So we'll see what happens and if you want to uh, read the show notes or the, read the blog post for yourself I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is Plasma 5.15 beta has been announced by the KDE team. So the KDE community has posted a blog post for the Plasma 5.15 which is I think like 5.14.90 or something like that. Uh, on the actual like the URL, but it's the 5.15 beta, and from their the blog post states, uh, Plasma 5.15 brings a number of changes to our configuration interfaces, including more options for complex network configurations. Many icons have been added or redesigned. Our integration with third-party technologies like GTK and Firefox has been made more more complete. And overall, there's a lot of cool stuff, but the majority of these things is there's not like a this huge single feature in Plasma 15 like 5.15 there are uh, like the previous versions they've had like big single or a couple big features these are more of a polish improvements and a lot of cool interesting features that are just kinda like small features that cr- like combine together make a really good update for the polish um, so for example they have this better support for Bluetooth devices because you can now have indicating the battery status of the device in the power widget on your panel, they've also had updates to Plasma Discover, where they've upgraded the support for uh, flat packs and snaps. So you have um, even more, uh, Im- more improved handling of local packages, the ability to upgrade uh, l- the distribution from the update notifier widget. So instead of having a, just notifying that it's there, you can actually just click to start uh, start the upgrade from the widget. You also have easier installation of the available updates from the updates page in the Discover app, as well as a redesigned uh, sources page that replaces the old settings page inside of Discover. They've also made some upgrades to the screen reader support for desktop icons to help people who are visually impaired, and they've done some more, uh, some redesigning of the virtual desktops area in system settings, and which also has support for Wayland. Uh, virtual desktops themselves have support for Wayland. So if you're if you're, not, you're not sure, virtual desktops is the what KDE and other systems refer to what the majority of Linux distributions call workspaces, uh, but they're basically the same thing. And they've also made some improvements to Firefox because you can now have the option to use the native uh, KDE dialogs for like open and save and things and things for like you know uploading files and selecting files inside of the interface rather than using the GTK, which used to be like the the, nor- the default. Uh, they've also done some stuff with uh, sandboxed of snaps and Flatpak applications. So they now respect the Plasma configuration for using like the XDG uh, KDE Plasma integration modules. And a ton of other things, especially like Plasma 5.15 has a lot of work been done on, on Wayland. So they've, there's more, uh, more protocol coverage, support for virtual desktops, as I mentioned. They also added uh, touch, drag, and drop support and many more things. And finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about for this release is really cool because they've added the support for the WireGuard VPN tunnels to built into the Network Manager plugin. So you have to install a package to make this work, but it makes it so that network connections can now uh, use the WireGuard for VPN, so it makes it a lot easier to activate a VPN that's running through WireGuard. And they've also made it where you can use the, in the network manager, you can set it up where it's like a, a metered connection. So if you, if you have an internet package that has a certain cap limit, you can say, you know, don't go over this limit or, you know, warn me over these, like the, a metered structure. So that's pretty cool. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest release from Plasma, you can see the blog post from the KDE team in the show notes below. Solus has shared their plans for 2019 with us. Uh, Josh Strobel from Solus Team, also a friend of the show and Solus Experience Lead, made a post detailing all the changes you can expect in 2019, and they broke it out into the quarters of the, for the year. So quarter one or Q1, we get Budgie 10.5, which means you also get Solus 4, and the, in Budgie 10.5 will be using some support with GNOME 3.30, uh, the 3.28 stack for GTK as well, and they're also going to be updating the CUPA program, which is the Comprehensive Upstream Provider Polling Assistant, which allows tracking of package repository and individual packages within the repository. So it just keeps track of things and how it's used in dependencies and stuff like that. Uh, Linux Hardware Qualifier is also going to get some updates. It's going to get a stable release actually pretty soon within the first uh, within this month, I think within, within January. And they're also going to get some support for the YP, the Y package or YPKG improvements for uh, some better inconsistency, uh, consolidation and functionality. And quarter, quarter two or Q2, Budgie 11 development begins. And the software center will be introducing snaps and flat pack support, as well as a whole new user, user exp, interface experience. And they've also been working on the development work for uh, the Sol or SOL package manager, which will be replacing the EOPKG, which will be their next-gen package manager, the soul or I am not really, that's how they're supposed to, you're saying it or not, but that's what I assume because of the, you know, the name Solus. But uh, Q3 will focus on getting Budgie 11 into an alpha release, and Budgie 11 will be released as well as Sol in Q4. So... Tons of stuff coming for Solus, and it's really cool to see that they've actually laid out a roadmap that's coming. Because very few distributions or projects in general offer a roadmap of what they plan to do and when it's coming and things are uh, set on their schedule. So that's pretty cool to see, to get that. And they're also going to be probably you know releasing some more uh, you know various items sprinkled in between all of these different um, you know big releases. Uh, So this is pretty cool. If you'd like to learn more and and read the blog post yourself, I'll have a link to it in the show notes for the Solus plans for 2019. Up next in distro news is Netrunner KDE 19.1 Blackbird has been released. This is a distribution based on Debian using KDE Plasma 5.14.3, and it has updated to KDE Frameworks 5.51 and the KDE Applications 18.08 and cute version 5.11. It also has support for Linux Kernel 4.19, which is uh, fairly up-to-date. It's, it's one of the latest ones. Uh, it's, I'm pretty sure 4.19 is the LTS uh, release for Linux Kernel. And it has updates to Firefox with Quantum uh, 64 version, as well as Thunderbird 60.3. Now, what's the latest thing that's probably the coolest thing about this is that they've changed the look and feel of it Uh, they now have this new theme called uh, Netrunner Black it's based on a dark but not like super high contrasty visual Uh, so there's certain aspects of it like the panel and the menus and the widgets, they all all look really nice Um, I think think that part is really good there are some aspects of it I'm not really a fan of but overall I think it's a really nice theme and uh, you should check it out if you're interested in a Debian based plasma distribution now, the, the, the other thing that's cool about the, the Firefox that they, they have this is they have it built in with the Plasma integration add-on. Um, there's a, a lot of distros are now shipping that by default because it's really cool. If you haven't heard of what it does, it, it integrates your system heavily with uh, the rest of the, your Plasma desktop with Firefox. So, for example, if you're playing a, uh, a YouTube video or a podcast, you know, something like that, inside of your Firefox window, and you use the media player widget, you can pause content from that widget while it's playing in in, in uh, Firefox. So it's got this nice integration structure. And if you when you download stuff, um, you know download files in Firefox, it, there'll be like a progress bar on your Plasma panel, and lots of cool features that are like the integration features like that. They've also made some improvements to the KDE or the GTK apps inside of KDE Plasma so they now use Kwin borders that are integrating uh, nicely with the rest of the Plasma desktop now some parts of it work great and some parts don't so some of it is it does integrate really nicely and some of it has like excess so for example some GTK apps that are using uh, CSD's or header bars um, they kind of have two close buttons sometimes and that's kind of that's a little awkward but Overall, it is a big improvement for the the previous version. So if you are interested in trying out a plasma-based Debian distribution or Debian-based plasma distribution, that makes more sense, uh, I'll have a link to Netrunner KDE 19.01 Blackbird in the show notes. Up next in the show is Deepin 15.9 was released. It has improvements for usability as well as some bug fixes. The biggest new feature for Deepin 15.9 is the support for the Deepin desktop environment to get uh, touch touchscreen gestures, including click, double-click, long press, and the ability to scroll up and down with your fingers. They've also added the on-screen keyboard onboard in the package in this re- release as well. There's also some additional power management options for both laptop and desktop users, including the ability to set separate monitor and computer suspend times. So if you have a system that's uh, on a battery at one point or plug in or plugged into power at another point you can have different power settings for each one of those so once you unplug your your power and turns into battery you can have a different uh, power management setup uh, profile like automatically switch to it there's a lot of other bug fixes and things like that for um, you a know, variety of different packages and they've set up there's a new smarter repository and mirror selection system so that it will get packages faster depending on where you are in the world. Another interesting thing about this is not necessarily directly deepin the distro related, but the deepin desktop environment has been approved for support in Fedora 30. So the next version of Fedora will also utilize or have a version that utilizes the deepin desktop environment. The Fedora Engineering and Steering Committee or Fesco, that's a fun acronym. Has formally approved Deepin for inclusion in Fedora 30, so that will be interesting to see if in, it's going to be probably around May that the Fedora 30 will get Deepin support. As long as the the packages stability and and um, features are you know stable uh, for throughout the development stage, because they have approved it and it so far it is good to go. But you know you never know what might happen in the development uh, aspects. You know updates might break something or who knows. But as long as none of that happens, Fedora will be getting Deepin. And but if you want to get you know try out Deepin right now, you can get Deepin 15.9, and you'll have a link to the the announcement from Deepin themselves, as well as a link to their download in the show notes. Up next in the show is a blog post uh, we're, we're talking about post market OS because they're talking about the 600 days of post market OS like development. And if you haven't heard of it, post OS is a really cool idea. It's essentially saying it's a they call it the a real Linux distribution for phones and other mobile devices, and it's it's basically taking the idea of like the the older idea of taking x86 hardware and any distribution can run on it, whereas um, on phones and ARM based devices they had to be made specifically for that device, otherwise it's not possible to use it. So the idea of this is post market is to be a distribution that can be used on a variety of different devices and a variety of your phones and be able to be modified and used uh, certain uh, features, say, for example, uh, Plasma Mobile or Ubuntu Touch or other things like that to um, you know kind of create a more, more broad ecosystem of Linux distribution on phones. And they're also aiming for a 10-year life cycle for each of the phones that they support, which is ridiculous compared to the majority of you know r- mainstream phones are like two years maybe three if you're lucky it's still in an alpha stage so there's still quite a few things missing but it's just like I, I think this is like a dream if it were to be, if it if it does come to fruition it would be a dream for it to exist and I think that it's a great uh, you know project that they're working on making this happen so they are so they're working on you know bug squashing and a variety of different devices. Uh, so it's gonna be, It might be a while before this dream becomes a reality, but I'm still looking forward to it. Uh, so, for example, uh, some of the devices don't have the ability to make phone calls. Or on the Nexus Five, in order to make a phone call, you have to like use a terminal and input some commands. So that's not ideal, of course. So, uh, but that's, what's interesting is that they this blog post talks about that they are not going to rush out tele, telephony f- functionality. They want to do it the right way. They don't want to just like slap it on and try to like work around it you know make make workarounds and fixes and stuff like that to just you know pretend that it's ready to go. So I'm I appreciate that they're trying to do it the right way. So that's good. Uh they're also talked about how they're changing their infrastructure because they used to just do a uh, their builds on a single computer and now they're working with builds.sr.ht which I think they said is is pronounced builds.sirhat. I'm not sure if that's well, it's fun if it's true but i don't know uh, they but they also have their, this collaboration with builds.surhat and this will allow them to use an infrastructure for you know much uh, la- larger testing and building of these versions or roms for these phones they also said that they have support for all raspberry pi versions including or up to 3 the 3b plus including the raspberry pi 0 And they said that they've added 28 new devices for a total number of bootable devices at 112. Now, just a reminder, this is not fully functional devices, but rather the amount of devices that can successfully boot post-market OS. So there's a lot of potential for this project, and it's very cool that they're doing that much work on all these different devices to you know prolong the life of these devices that if you do have one you wouldn't have to just throw it away because android abandoned it you know that kind of thing so it's really nice to see and uh, if you would like to learn more about postmarket os i'll have a link to this 600 days post as well as their official website in the show notes below so from talking about getting linux distribution on mobile devices or android devices we're now going to talk about getting android on You know, desktop devices and laptops and desktops with the Android x86 8.1 official release. So, Android x86 8.1 is the Oreo version of Android on x86 architecture or laptop and desktops. And this one, this particular release supports uh, multi touch, Bluetooth, DHCP only Ethernet, Wi Fi, uh, support for audio, like, you know, capture and uh, sound, like, plus playback. Uh, cameras. Uh, it also has the ability to mount external USB drives and SD cards, and has support for secure boot. So when you, if you use UEFI on your system or on your drive, you can use support secure boot with Android X eighty six eight point one. They've also added some experimental Vulkan support for uh, this release. So you know it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's Android, but in this case, it doesn't really have the Google apps. So it might be worth checking out if you're curious. So it's, it's not as ridiculous. You know, it's not as uh, Googleified in this case. So if you are interested, you can try to find a link to Android x86 8.1 official release in the show notes. So MongoDB is having some issues with their licensing. As well as the you know backlash from the community regarding their licensing, because the Mongo three point six version was an open source licensed, and they've recently decided to I'm not sure exactly how recent, but they, they decided to switch it away to a new license called the Server Side Public License that they created, and the idea was they were having uh, their software being utilized from services you know software as a services company that were making money off of their project but not donating money back to them and they were bothered by that understandably so but they decided to do something that was kind of interesting and seems to have backfired and that is to switch it to a new license the server-side public license as I mentioned now not only are these cloud companies no longer using MongoDB but there's actually some Linux vendors that are removing MongoDB from their distributions for example Debian and Red Hat have both decided to remove MongoDB from their repositories due to the SSPL license. So, the uh, Debian project lead, Chris Lamb, friend of the show, said that uh, does that MongoDB um, is not considered software licensed under the SSPL, they, they're not going to consider the software license under the SSPL to be suitable for inclusion in the Debian archive. Because it's not technically open source. They have a lot of Um, they have wording that requires uh, certain pieces that adds um, too much requirement to the person using the software forcing them to do certain things that are not really um, aspects of freedom so that's why it's not really doesn't really work with the term open source because the term open source is also uh, not just a term it is a organization that created the concept so the open source initiative or the OSI created the term open source for a specific meaning uh, even, what's interesting is that Amazon, for, or the AWS, launched DocumentDB, which is basically uh, not exactly a fork as far as all the code or anything, but it's compat- this compatibility is heavily related to MongoDB's application and tools for the previous version of 3.6 where it was open source. So, not only did this kind of backfire, they all they did was kind of push people away to, one, not, con- not use their software and their repositories, and two companies make their own competitive product to replace it. So I guess the moral of the story is, you can license software whatever you want it to be, but you can't call any just anything open source, because open source actually has a meaning, and in order to be called open source, it has to be open source. So, there's that. Anyway, if you have to learn more about this, I'll have a link to some articles about the licensing issue as well as you know, stuff from various different news places, as well as the announcement from Red Hat and etc. In the show notes below. Up next in the show, Introware has announced that they have uh, released a new AMD desktop. It's a very powerful machine using a Threadripper. It's called Hades, and it is a um, it starts it, it has an AMD Ryzen Threadripper nineteen hundred X up to a twenty nine ninety WX. So you can have massive power in the CPU, but you can also get a lot of RAM. So you have two different options of RAM. You can get ECC RAM or DDR4 RAM, both of which um, go up to 128 gigabytes of RAM. So you can have a massive beast. And the price is not necessarily ridiculous. I mean... It, the, the currency exchange wouldn't be practical for me to purchase an Introware machine. However, if you were in Europe or in the UK, which is pretty much where you have to where you have to be anyway to get them because I didn't mention earlier, but Introware is a UK-based computer manufacturer, so you really could only purchase it if you were in those areas, in the area of the UK or the European countries that they support, which is uh, UK, Spain, Italy, France, Germany, and Ireland. So if you're in any of those, the prices are starting at six, basically 1,600 uh, pounds. So somewhat reasonable for a Threadripper machine as well as you know that massive amount of RAM. It comes with Ubuntu uh, 18.04, Ubuntu Mate 18.04, or 18.10 of either one. You can get those pre-installed. So if you would like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the IntroWare Hades um, desktop using the Threadripper in the show notes below. Purism announced new laptops for the Librem series, the Librem 13 and Librem 15, Uh, the version 4 of these laptops has been released, and these include the 7th gen Intel Core i7-7500U processors, and those work with Coreboot. Librem 15 will also get a 4K resolution, and and they will both have integrated HD Graphic uh, 620 chips. And all these options come with uh, their pure OS, which is based on Debian. Now, if you haven't heard of the Librem laptops, what's really cool about these laptops is they have these physical switches on the laptops where you can disable your webcam and your microphone. And I'm pretty sure your Bluetooth as well. It's a privacy security thing. So if someone were to, say, uh, be on the same Wi-Fi as you, uh, they could maybe activate your webcam or something like that. If you just disable... The entire functionality whatsoever. There's no way they could get into it because it just doesn't work. Um, so that's it's an interesting approach because it allows you to guarantee that you have privacy and security because these these functions don't work when you have the switch turned off. So it's a it's a really cool idea and these and the laptops are pretty nice looking. They're pretty slick. Um, they start at around the Librem 13 starts at around 13.99 with the Librem 15 starting at 15.99. Um, so if you are interested in that. I'll have a link to those in the show notes, and they also had a, a, a point that was interesting that um, that they offer interest-free financing, so you can just say, you know, you want to purchase a laptop, you can pay, you know, monthly, uh, like over six months or over a year uh, to pay it, so instead of paying all up front, you can pay it, and they don't charge any extra interest, Just it's just a regular base price, but over a couple months, so that's, that's a pretty cool idea. So if you are interested in checking it out, I have a link to the Purism new laptops in the show notes below. So, if you were shopping for this uh, this past holiday season and saw some smart TVs at ridiculously high quality specs, at ridiculously small like low prices, you might be wondering how can they be so affordable? Well, we now have the answer for that, and that is most of these companies are selling or collecting and selling your data, your usage data, and etc. So, smart TVs can now be sold at cost or near cost to consumers. for example, Vizio is able to monetize those TVs through data collection, advertising, and selling direct to consumers, like movies and TV show. It's not, obviously, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I'd prefer to, I couldn't really find a TV that's recent that doesn't have these smart TV things. I guess you could just go to a different source on the TV and dismiss the regular built-in stuff. Well, there We get. We got something from, uh, the CTO of Vizio had an interview with Verge, or the Vergecast, and uh, at CES, and they talked about this issue. Um, so one of the things that they were talking about is that there was some uh, the their TV was pinging ten times more on the internet than any other device on their network. and they were like, "What's going on here?" The CTO basically said it was a probably a bug in that particular instance, but he did talk about that they are sending data. And he says, it's not just about data collection. It's about post-purchase monetization of the TV. Okay, that's a fancy way of saying data collection. Uh, Baxter, the CTO, said he thinks that Vizio is the industry leader in disclosing what tracking is happening and letting users opt in or opt out during setup, and that he's fine if people choose to turn it off. But he's also clear that TV companies are in a cutthroat business, and that companies and that companies like Vizio would have to charge higher prices for hardware if they didn't run content, advertising, and data businesses. I'd rather just have paid a little bit more, or, or, you know, depending on what percentage, I'd still significantly more even to not have to worry about my TV tracking everything I do. But Vizio is an interesting uh, situation in the industry because they do it is an opt-in or opt-out situation so when you were setting up the tv for the first time it does ask you whether you want to opt-in or not so that's kind of good i guess you know it's better than nothing but at the same time still not good if you'd like to learn more i have a link to the business insider as well as the Vergecast uh, podcast in the show notes below about this topic up next in the show is the first Linux gaming topic, and that is the Steam client has issued their updates and plans for 2019, including a new beta. So we're going to mostly talk about the beta because there's some really cool stuff in the beta. Uh, but they have, if you linked if you, I'll have a link to the plans that they have for 2019 as well in the show notes. Uh, but with just, with the beta that they have just recently released, they added support for GNU TLS 3 and that's had support to the steam runtime for addressing for, for addressing network issues and sh- a shortcut issue they've also improved some uh, issues with the Vulkan caching uh, so it, it just makes it a lot more efficient for caching with the Vulkan uh, run, run, rendering and the beta update now allows for per game enabling of steam play. This is awesome this allows, instead of having, like, basically when you used previously, you had to set up the gl- Steam Play for global. So you're, whether you the game supported it or not, it would activate the Steam Play. Now you can specify uh, individual games to use Steam Play or not. And it also allows you to force the Steam Play on games that are technically Linux native games. So you might be wondering, why would you do that? Well, I thought the same thing. And thankfully in the live chat when I said that one of the people uh, one of the members of the live chat informed me that some of the games that he plays are not very good in the Linux native port for example Arc is very broken on the native native version but if you play it through Steam play by activating this setting it works just fine so there's one reason if the port is not a very good port then you can use Steam play to bypass the port completely so that's pretty cool um, there's also another interesting thing about it is that using this new beta, they've added a, a feature. You can see what version of Proton is being used for each title it is activated for. So if you have different versions of Proton installed for different games, uh, or, you know, maybe some games need a newer version you it'll tell you which one is being used so you can update it. So that's very cool. So if you're interested, I'll have a link to the steam beta or the Steam client beta announcement in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Humble Double Fine Presents Bundle. And this is a really uh, silly bundle because there's a bunch of games in here that are just interesting. Like they're odd or fun or just ridiculous. But it is definitely something I am going to get myself. And I think it's worth talking about because I think it is like some of these games are definitely worth it. So first up in the first tier there's mountain which essentially you just you you have a mountain that's that's floating in the sky that you um create like put trees on and it's hard to i don't really know what it's about it's hard to say uh 140 also similar not really sure what it, how to describe it uh thoth is like a shooter game with shapes so you gotta have to look at these games to like fully understand what what they're what they are. But uh, well, one thing though is that Doth does not work on Linux, even though it does work on Steam Play though. So it's just not it's not native to Linux, but it does work on Steam Play. That's those are on the first tier. Then there's the second tier that's got uh, GNOG, doesn't work on Linux, but it's okay because the next game does, and it's a pretty cool platformer. It's called Escape D- Escape Goat or Escape Goat Two. And Escape Goat 2 is really fun looking. I haven't got to play it yet, but I'm going to be buying this this bundle right after the show. So I will be doing that soon. And on the next tier, well, by the way, first, uh, a, lot, a lot of people, like if you look at the Escape Goat 2, their reviews for this game is really high. So they people would say that this bundle by itself for just that game is worth it. Another game that's normally $20, but if you pay $10, you can get this game as well. It's called Gang Beasts. And it's a very silly, like ridiculously ridiculous physics brawl game where you have like four people and you just battle on these weird stages and you try to do like you avoid like custom stage traps and things like that when you just like kind of battle and fight each other and it's it's really silly but it's also it's also pretty fun. Uh, I haven't personally played it but I've watched people play the game and it looks it looks silly and fun so I'm looking forward to get it and it was it is on my wish list so I'm I'm definitely gonna get that. Uh, and then the next game is called Everything. Yeah, the name of the game is Everything. And I have no idea how to explain it. I don't know what it's about, but it's it's pretty interesting. So it, it you you can you play the game from various different levels, from a micro level from down to like single cell organisms all the way up to macro levels of galaxies. And I don't know what you're supposed to do. Like I watched a couple of videos about the trailer, like gameplay footage, and I have no idea what's going on. So if you have played this game and you know what it's about, let me know in the comments below. Otherwise, you know, I might have just played for myself, but there's there's something else that I thought was funny is that there are, when you're on the animal level, you know how animals like just walk? For some reason they don't walk in this game. Instead, they all do front flips to move. Like a bear just doing a front flip over and over. Like it's a weird game. So, I am kind of curious to try it out just because of how re- how weird it is. <laughs> so, anyway, if you're also interested, I have a link in the show notes to the Humble Double Fine Presents bundle. And just so you know that the link in the show notes is an affiliate link, so if you you were to purchase it using that link, it will give a small percentage to the Tux Digital channel and this show uh, if you were to do so. So I would appreciate that if you do decide to purchase this bundle. Uh, Anyway, again, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Humble Double Fine Presents bundle. And finally this week, we have Rocket League has added cross-platform play to their system, to their infrastructure What's really cool about this is that you have already could do cross-platform play, but there was like limits of who you could play against. Now, they've made it so that you can play uh, online matchmaking, whether it's casual, competitive, or in the extra modes like the hoops system or the snow day or drop shot. You can play all those with people from PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, Linux, Mac, and Windows. So all of those different types of platforms can all play against each other and that's very cool. I think it might be the first game to support all these different types of consoles and you know systems like the PC systems in online match- matchmaking where they all can play against each other. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it might be the first one to do that. So that's very cool. Uh, they don't have uh, cross-platform parties yet, so you can't like team up with... If you're a PC player, like you're a Linux player, you can uh, party up with people from Windows, but you can't party up from people with PlayStation 4 yet. Uh, they're, they are working on that in the future. so that um, I'm not exactly sure when exactly they're going to release it, but it's pretty soon when they're going to release the cross-platform parties. They did say it's going to be in the first big update for the game of this year, but they didn't really say exactly when. So that is coming soon, though. Um, so that'll be cool. So there's also another thing I want to tell you about it is that uh, I wanted to add this because I'm a really big fan of this game. I mean, I've talked about it multiple times in this show. People might be sick of me talking about it, and I'm sorry about that. But it's a really cool game, and you should totally play it if you haven't. But I wanted to add it this particular week because they added this feature as well as added um, it's on sale. Basically, it's because it's on sale too. Uh, If you can get to, uh, like I think, uh, 40% off. I think that's what it is. Uh, 40% off for Rocket League on the Humble Store. And I'll have a link in the show notes Directly to the Humble Store, as well as the uh, announcement for this particular uh, update uh, in the show notes below. Uh, but that I'd also want to let you know that the affi- the link in the show notes is an affiliate link. So if you were to purchase it through that link, it would uh, benefit the, the Tux Digital Channel as well as this show. So I would appreciate that. So again, if you are interested, I'll have a link to Rocket League on in the on the Humble Store in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel or the show, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many more. You can learn more by going to Tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is everywhere t-shirt by going to Tuxdigital.com slash Linux is everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways you can contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, private internet access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. If you'd like to submit some GNU's to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. Or if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux GNU's each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tannell with TuxDigital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.